If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast how are you doing there podcast time I'm here with John what's the crackhead oh the crack's mighty as always we're nearly out and we're jabbed I'm jabbed got my first jab yeah, but you're Astra, aren't you? Yeah, you're... and I hear that that's only 30% efficacy for the new Indian variant, I believe. Well, everybody's, I don't know. everybody's an expert, John, now you know that. Yeah, well, that's true. That's I, got, true. I got the Moderna one. Yeah, how which, was that for you? I was great. It's very modern. It's great. <laughs> anyway, but we're, we're going to be out quite soon, which is which is kind of, thanks for the chase. Yeah, I just want to go back gigging. Gigging and pointing. Actually, speaking of gigging, and music and stuff. I heard Lucy's new Lucy track. Lucy has a new track out with her mate, Matthew Harris, who you described last summer as, look at your man with the head. Because <laughs> he's got a grey head in him. <laughs> no, what happened was uh, John was sitting here, legs crossed listening to Bruce Springsteen up in the kitchen. And uh, one of Lucy's mates, Matthew, who she's just done a track with, who goes by the name of Chameleon, is yeah. his stage name, arrives in with peroxide, Hair in the garden, yeah. and John goes, "Who's your man with the head?" <laughs> He's a lovely fella, actually. He is a lovely fella. It's a great track. Actually, we play, we play out with it. We will, we um, will. Another thing that was interesting to me this week, John, was of course Bitcoin and crypto in general. You know right. what is actually going on there? And what I did the other day was I just had a shout out on Twitter, and I said, "Look, you know, can I, can I have a few recommendations of people in Ireland who can yeah. talk to me about Bitcoin?" Loads came back. One I of them, saw that. one of them who came back is a guy who people suspect could have been the original originator of Bitcoin, right? And we're yeah. going to talk about Professor Donal O'Mahony. He's a computer science professor at Trinity. Right, And okay. the people, people in the know believe that he is, there's about 10 people who the, the internet regards as potentially being this anonymous character, Satoshi Nakamoto, right? right? And he's one of them, an Irish guy. So we're going to talk to him in a little while. But the reason we're talking about it, John, is it's it's a huge story. Bitcoin, where's... That's Sasha, everybody. Max old dog, poor old Sasha. Yeah, she needs to get out. Come on, out yeah. you go. Out you go. So clickety-click on the door. Okay. Um, right. I'm going to talk to him. But I mean, the story is huge. The, the Bitcoin story is huge. The crypto story is huge. What's happening to currencies? 
are we going to get hyperinflation? Are we not going yeah. to have the stuff that I like, the MMT? Well, it's big in the news now, so it's... Yeah. With the Elon Musk with debacle Elon. and all that kind of stuff. And also what I've noticed as well is it's a generational thing. You know, lots of young people are really into crypto. Yeah. Lots of younger people. People of our age are a little bit sceptical, but younger people are quite into it. So These are the cyberpunks. So, as opposed to the doggy punks, <laughs> scum punks, who used to live in the catacombs yeah, yeah, that's right. many, many years ago. Yeah. I remember going to see The Flash in the SFX many years ago and uh, trying to pass myself off as... That's been know, cool. That's been cool. I was the least cool man in the swatty pants seeing The Flash and uh, finding myself just kind of getting sucked into a kind of a mosh pit with those Dublin scum punks and thought... I need to get out of here. Very, very quickly. <laughs> you would have been such a target. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Channeling my inner Joe Strummer, which was never there in the first place. Anyway, let's go and talk to Don Lamani. Now, in 2009, we're going to talk Bitcoin, but we're not going to talk Bitcoin with any old Bitcoiner. We're going to talk Bitcoin and crypto in general today with a man who is rumoured internationally to be Number seven on the list of who actually is Satoshi Nakamoto, the man who is, or the person, or the company, the, the entity who actually originated Bitcoin, kicked it off, started the whole thing. That was 2009. We're now, what do we are, 11, 12 years later, an extraordinary frenzy of activity around Bitcoin. But I want to go right back with Professor Don Lomani of Trinity. Where did it start? What is Bitcoin? Give me the flavor for crypto in general, and then we can take it forward. Donald, how are you? Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm in flying form. Now, what, is it, what does it feel like to be one of the people internationally rumored to be the man behind Bitcoin? Yeah, so the, well, the quest for, for who, who is the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto has been going on for a long time now. I guess one of the reasons how I got involved was uh, when I've been an academic in Trinity in, in computer science, uh, professor there for, for over 30 years. Um, and I guess my main focus has been computer networking, cryptography, and the things that cryptography enables. So payment was a huge focus. So uh, coming up to the time when the internet was becoming less of an academic thing and more of a consumer thing, the web was launching. Uh, myself and two of my students were working a lot on payment type projects, how, how to affect a payment across the internet. Actually, you know, the vision of the internet back then could have gone one of two directions. It could have gone the way it has gone, which is an advertising model where we're all being advertised at by Facebook and, and that's paying all the bills, or we could have done it with payment. You know, we could have paid micro amounts for every piece of content we consume. In any case, it went the other way. So at the time, we had lots of different payment payment methods that we were looking into, and we wrote a book on, on the topic, um, basically on how you use cryptography to, to, to make payments and to hold account uh, across the internet. Um, one of my one of my students at the time, Mike Pierce, was working on a thing called the Pay Me Transfer Protocol, and that was quite quite close to the thing that Satoshi invented. And I think that's hence how we, we got we got put in the frame. Well, it's not, it's not bad to be roped in as the inventor of Bitcoin, you know, per, second only to be appearing on the Dave McWilliams podcast in terms of fame and fortune. You know, well, it, it, but look, okay, excuse me, what is Bitcoin? Well, what Bitcoin set out to do was to, to find, as a way of paying one person, one person to pay another with a coin across a network. But the key thing about Bitcoin that's different from all the other payment methods is that you don't need anybody in the middle. 
You know, so typically if I'm going to pay somebody with, let's say, a credit card, I go into my local spa or whatever and I want to make a payment. Visa's getting involved. AIB's getting involved. You know, yeah. I have to instruct the bank. The bank pays somebody else. So the, 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 the cool thing about Bitcoin was this and it was really the beginning of what people are calling today decentralization. Now, what is decentralization? What is so decentralization is where you take the center out of things. So rather than everybody going into some central hub that mediates all the transactions. Like a bank, for example, in this case. Like a bank, yeah. Or if you're trading stocks, like a stockbroker. Um, if you're doing insurance, like the insurance company, you know, yep. between you and the, and the people covering the risk. So anything that involves one person interacting with another that needs to be mediated today. So you, you know, take- this is the, the sort of promise of, well, so Bitcoin did that for payment. It allows me to pay you without anybody else getting involved. And then it also gave birth to this whole blockchain idea, which is, is all about doing lots of things without a mediator involved. Now, and now explain to me blockchain. And then I'm going to ask you the question, if Bitcoin was originally started as something in order to increase you and I trading together, why is it traded so little? That's what, I'm, that's what intrigues me about Bitcoin. If the objective was to make trading easier, how come so few things are actually traded on Bitcoin? So let's park that. But I want to come back to you in the blockchain idea. Explain that to me yeah. again. Well, so, uh, you know, if we were engaging in a mediated payment, there would be somebody who is essentially keeping a book and they'd have a column that says, here's all the payments that David McWilliams has received. And there'd be another column saying, here's all the payments that Donald O'Mahony has made. You know, and you'd be matching those things. Sure. So the idea of the blockchain then is to basically take that ledger and capture it in a digital form. Okay. Now, normally you need the bank to maintain the ledger. You need some trusted third party who's going to look after this ledger. In the blockchain idea, you get rid of that. So you take the ledger and you replicate it out there on thousands of computers around the world that are all sort of maintaining a consensus about what's in that ledger. Okay. And that's the sort of magical thing. And, then, and so that's the sort of holy grail of the new idea of crypto trading, that you take out the middleman, the producer, the consumer, the buyer, the seller, the punter, the other punter, get closer together. And you take out kind of waste and you take out fees and you take out transaction costs. And there's where, in a way, the sort of the economic potential is. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, that's, that, that, so that was the original. And I think, the, you know, who knows what was in Satoshi Nakamoto's mind. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, that was part of the cyberpunk movement, which was a whole lot of people who wanted to get away from governments and powerful institutions and banks. And I think perhaps his original vision was that a small number of people would engage in this and they would all be able to make payments to each other without accounting to anybody. I don't know that he necessarily envisaged what Bitcoin has become today. What do you think it's become? So Bitcoin today has a market cap of $690 billion. It's maintained, you know, there are people maintaining huge warehouses full of computers, making the whole system run in obscure parts of China and Russia and Iceland, and I guess some parts of America and Canada as well. So they're mining the currency, each individual, you know, again, I don't know if Satoshi necessarily envisaged that people would trade Bitcoin against the dollar and that it would reach the heights that it's reached today. So like it peaked a few months ago at $60,000 per Bitcoin. And, you know, so you ask me, you ask me, why is it that people aren't transacting with it? And I think it's really difficult to transact with something that maybe 10 years ago was worth $600 and now is worth 60,000. Today it's worth 35,000. Well, I'm going to go, go on to that, but I just want to get to the nuts and bolts. Explain to me, how many Bitcoins are out there in the world? 
okay, it's a it's an ever increasing quantity. All right. So what happens is we talked about these blocks. So a block contains transactions, and one of those gets produced every ten minutes. Okay. And every time you produce one, you create another six and a half Bitcoin. Six and a half Bitcoin, and I hope that the block isn't triggered by minutes. I hope it's triggered by trade. Because it would be it's kind of silly. No, it's triggered by minutes. Um, so the, the, the target is to produce a block every 10 minutes, irrespective of how many people want to stick transactions in there. So, yeah, because I mean, this is like, I mean, I've got my economics hat on here, but I've also got my mm -hmm. kind of common sense hat on here. So this is a currency or, or a form of payment which is related to, or its creation is related to the calendar. That's right, yeah. Okay. And, well, okay, so let me tell you about a clever part of this, right? Yeah. There's a thing called the Bitcoin halving. So initially, every time a block was created, I think it was 20 it started off, or 20 Bitcoin was, was created. But then every four years or so, that figure halves. Okay, so let's say after the first four years, it was 10 every 10 minutes. And then after the next four years, it's five every, every 10 minutes. Oh, okay. And this keeps halving. And the idea is that this, this halving will continue up to, I think it's around 2040 is the, the predicted time. And at that point, there will be no more Bitcoin created. Okay, so let's do a bit of maths here, right? Yeah. How many Bitcoin then will be created by 2040 based 21 on this? 21 million. 21 million. Okay, so that's the magic million. figure. Okay. And that's the cap. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and at the moment, how many million are out there, do we think? Um, ooh, uh, I, I guess it's a little bit over 50%. I'm just guessing there. Yeah, that's just the basic maths. Okay, yeah. so we're, there's about 11 odd million out there. And we're going to get 21 million and then that's it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that's the gold idea that it is actually some sort of hard relationship. This is a relationship to an algorithm. Gold is a relationship, unfortunately, to geology, wherever the world actually bequeathed us and eventually you run out of run out of that stuff. Okay, good. Now I'm beginning to, to get the whole thing. So there's 21 million. Right. Now, you mentioned the other thing, Donald, there, which I thought was interesting. You said initially it was kind of a libertarian, anti-government thing. Because when I talk to Bitcoiners, I always get a sense that one side, there are kind of enthusiastic computer programmers mm -hmm. who see a technology that solves a problem, which is to reduce the middleman and get the internet functioning more smoothly. On the other hand, then I get these sort of libertarian characters who tie up Bitcoin with an anti-establishment, anti-government, small government in many ways, libertarian worldview. And sometimes the two of them are kind of behind Bitcoin, but from very, very different philosophical angles. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah, I certainly, you know, if you look at the two extremes of this, so one is where you're using it as a coin, as a medium of exchange, which I think was probably the original vision of Satoshi Nakamoto. So in that case, perhaps you're interested in libertarian type ideas and you're saying, well, no one should be interfering with my payment. No one should be stopping my payment. No one should be taking fees on my payment, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then you look at the other extreme, which is this thing is just like gold, which is a much more recent idea. And at that stage, maybe you're not too concerned about things like privacy and, and so on. You're really just concerned with the fact it's scarcity is the big thing that you're honing in on. Yeah, and, and, the it's, fact that, and it's going okay, up in value. This rate. People have subsequently called it the inflation rate of Bitcoin. But, you know, to know that it's kind of all this halving is going on and then there's a hard cap of 21 million. So all the digital gold guys are just focused in primarily on that property and they don't care too much about the anonymity or the lack of a middleman or whatever. Sure, okay. Uh, can I also ask you about, like, you're a crypto expert, right? 
tell me about all the other coins that are knocking around. So Bitcoin is one, and as you said, the, it's the kind of granddaddy, right? Yeah. What else is going on? Well, so Bitcoin introduced this notion of the distributed consensus. What, now, what is that? Uh, so that's that's where, where you've got a, a ledger of transactions and you don't need the, th- the, the trusted third party like the bank or whatever to maintain it. Instead, it's maintained by a ton of nodes out there on the internet, just all working away trying to solve puzzles. Okay, the Bitcoin mining idea. Okay. So subsequent to Bitcoin being being launched, maybe a few years afterwards, people started to coin the phrase blockchain. And then they started to think, well, this could be used for all sorts of things. So first of all, you could make different coins, all right, for different, perhaps different purposes. And second of all, you could use it for doing things like perhaps betting on a horse, for example, or writing an insurance policy, or there's, you know, there's a whole lot of things that you could disintermediate um, by, by, having, by having a blockchain. So perhaps maybe the second most important coin, well, maybe I wouldn't even call it that. You could say it's the most important. So Bitcoin has its niche now, and I think that niche is kind of in the digital gold. Ethereum came along a little bit afterwards, and it added a whole lot of capability. So it used the basic idea of this distributed consensus, but it also meant that you could create these things called smart contracts. A good example is, um, you know, if you look at a Coke machine sitting in a corridor, you know, soft drinks machine, you go along to that, you insert a coin, you press a button, and you expect certain things to happen. Okay, so you can think about that as like almost like a robot that's programmed to deliver things. You put in some money, something good happens. Yeah. In a smart contract, you can do that out on the blockchain. You can put a piece of code out in the blockchain that executes something. So let's say it's, let's say I want to place a bet on a horse. I could go along to this machine in the corridor and I could say, you know, I want to bet on horse number two in the 330 and the machine would record the bet and then later on i could come back and press a different button and say i'm the guy who placed that bet can you give me my winnings now okay so you're saying that there could be at a certain stage i mean you're talking about the the end of shopping you're talking about the end of shops you're talking about the end of all these sort of uh, ideas if well almost anything you can think of that needs somebody who perhaps isn't adding that much value just to just to sort of match a buyer and a seller you know, oh, there's, 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 no, there's, no, there's no crack in this world, Donald. This, this is a world <laughs> taken over by bloody computer programmers and scientists and things. You know, the, the, that would point the interaction, the flirt, the whole idea. But John, you had a question there. Well, John's love is up here. He's like, he's like, can't go and do the mock with your letters? Please, sir, please. Like, like, <laughs> Donald, just go back to the, I'm having trouble with this cap of 21 million. Yeah. Who decided that and, and why? And then the, the follow-up question is, with the other new coins like Ethereum and Dogecoin and all those, did they have a cap as well? Yeah, well, okay, so who makes the rules in this blockchain world? So I guess, so Satoshi laid down the kind of foundations in his white paper, and he talked about that notion of a halving and so on. But, you know, I, I guess what really enforces that is the code that people use to implement Bitcoin. And there's a set of people who look after that. Mm. And they would have sort of fine-tuned the rules. So and I guess the question is, can you change the rules then? Yeah. And you could if you could get every single person who was running that code, all the miners that are out there, and you got them all to come into a room and agree, well, it's not going to be 21 million, it's going to be 25 million. If you could get that all to happen, then yeah, you could change it to 25 million. I bet you that's going to happen. I bet you that's going to happen. No, seriously, you're well, talking about human nature here. I bet you that is going to happen. But why have a cap in the first place? To make it scarce, to give it some anchor of value. Otherwise, sure, otherwise you keep mining, 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 and then it's 
It's like, because, you know, the Bitcoiners are always going on. The Fed is an inflationary machine. It's printing this money. This money's going out of value. And their counter argument is our money can't go out of value because it's got this cap on yeah. it. But, as well know, as that, I guess you're giving birth to a new currency here, right? So you can't just take all the coins and whoosh them out there. Who would you give them to? Right? So, well, that, yeah. well, uh, well you see, I'm, I'm somebody who believes that money is ubiquitous. And actually, the, see, what, what, look, the economist in me don't, doesn't mm -hmm. get the fascinating thing about money is its power is social. The more money out there, the more unbelievably powerful it is as a technology. If you tie money to some sort of crazy thing like the amount of gold that was fortuitously deposited in various different tectonic movements millions of years ago, you're yeah. tethering human ability to a geological fact, which in my head makes no sense. And therefore, this is my problem with Bitcoin. It's not a problem. It's a, it's a more of a philosophical idea. Why make it scarce if it's any good? Because scarcity has only got value when you move into the world of you know, high art and gold, actually things that people hoard, they don't use. And mm. what for me, the beauty of money is we use it and it brings us together and it's a fantastic technology. That's my philosophical dilemma, but that's not for... That's maybe something that the yeah, but I, you know, I think we're dealing with currencies of today, like the dollar and the euro and stuff, that have taken years to come on board. You know, and the, yeah. their supply is steadily and ever ever growing. But if you took the current stock of euro right now and just doubled it tomorrow, it would be a fiasco, right? Um, well, yeah, 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 it would be a not a fiasco. That's the again, that's the interesting thing is that what we have been doing, you know, in the last. This is what the Bitcoiners will always say, like. In the last 18 months, $1 out of every five that is actually in print has been printed. So there's mm -hmm. been a massive potential inflationary increase. And as a consequence, then, that's what makes Bitcoin attractive because it has the scarcity yeah. value. And you know, people have actually done lots of models on this based on exactly what you said. So there's, like the, so there's the issuance rate of Bitcoin, and this is the stuff that's coming six every 10, every 10 minutes. But there's also the retirement rate of Bitcoin, which is just as you alluded to, you know, people losing it, people locking it up and, you know, no longer having access to it. So, so the currency kind of loses a certain amount over time. And ideally what you want is some kind of a balance between the new coins coming into circulation and the old ones leaving. Yeah, I mean, don't let's talk about look, again. Let's talk about the maths of it, right? If the mm. Fed were to be producing dollars at the rate of which it is doing now, mm. and if Bitcoin was a diminishing asset in terms of scarcity, and we decide that it's not really a currency, it's an asset, right? Let's do that. Well, then we can actually figure out where Bitcoin could get to in terms of its relation to the dollar. It could be a phenomenally expensive asset and a phenomenally worthwhile asset i mean have they have have people done the modeling that says the bitcoin if it is going to be related to the amount of dollars out there and if the amount of dollars out there increases exponentially then the price of bitcoin has to increase exponentially mm. i mean have, have well, your guys done all the modeling on that the the, the computer programmers well, I think the, the, the value of Bitcoin is kind of a balance of supply and demand and in, in, in bitcoin's case the supply is known you know, so you know about the, the so many every 10 minutes and you know about the halving and you know about the cap of 21 million. What, what's not known is the supply, right? And the supply is very much geared by market sentiment, who's interested in things. And, you know, when you get people like, I don't know, Paul Tudor Jones and, well, most recently Elon Musk has been having a huge impact on the price. Okay, so he's made a decision that basically it's a sensible thing for anyone money under management to do, to take a small amount of those assets 
you know, two, three, seven or eight percent in his case, um, you know, and, and invest that in Bitcoin. So this massively increases the supply, which massively increases the price. Tell me, what, what's your sense of crypto over the next 10 years? I mean, again, from, from, from your perspective, let's go back to where we started, you know, that it is a technology that enables the internet, could enable the internet to work better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the amazing things, to, to, it's just amazing to work in the field because it's, there's so many really clever ideas and so many very, very smart people around. And, it, you know, it enables a huge number of things. So, I mean, obviously payment is one of them, but people are using it now for, I guess it's having the most impact initially in finance. So there's a whole new world called decentralized finance going on. And again, that's looking at things that people have historically done in conventional finance and just try and take the center out of it. So people have traded cryptocurrencies, for example, for, for years. And typically you need brokers to do that and you need accounts and, you know, there's lots and lots of friction. Today, you can go out to a blockchain, you can just push some money into a, into a smart contract in one form and get it out in another form. So now, okay, so the assets that are being traded right now are typically crypto assets. So you could sort of push in one, one, one Bitcoin and get out perhaps maybe 30 Ethereums, something like that. And that's, a, that's a, an exchange. Yeah. But then you start to see people developing new tokens on the blockchain that actually represent real world assets. So there are things called stable coins, which are coins just like Bitcoin is a coin, but, but they're designed so that the value of them is pegged at a dollar or pegged at a euro or pegged at a renminbi or as, as the case may be. And if you then take two of those stable coin assets, let's say one representing a dollar and one representing a euro, you could do euro dollar exchange on, on the blockchain. No humans involved, instant transaction, tiny settlement fees, usually 0.03% on each individual transaction. And you know, this sort of thing has been creeping up over the last year and a half. And now you've got, I think it's um, $60 billion locked in assets in, 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 in DeFi platforms, mostly to do with, with currency exchange. No. You know, so, so, so the first thing they tackled was payment. Second thing is an awful lot of financial things in DeFi, and there's lots more coming, I think. Finally, I just want to ask you then, Don, mm. if we're seeing, you know, you've got skeptics, you've got evangelists, it's... I've always said, you know, a lot of these, when you get moments of disruption, it's always very good to go back to the Reformation, right? right. And you see that, so Martin Luther's on one side, right? Martin Luther's uh -huh. saying, listen, lads, I've got this new direct line to God. And the Pope is saying, no, 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 hold on a second. Now you get the 30 years war, you get the Holy Roman Empire collapsing, you get all these good stuff happening, right? Well, not good yeah. stuff, obviously, if you're hanging around Germany, the 30 years war isn't a good thing, right? And then you get schisms within the revolutionaries. So you get Methodists and Calvinists and Anglicans and Presbyterians and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, it just it recalibrates, it resettles, and the old world does disappear. The old world does change profoundly. Using that analogy, thinking about finance, I mean, are we mm. looking at a world where banks disappear? They just go, they just, they're regarded as kind of anachronistic. They're like, they're like steam engines. They're like things that were essential to the function of the democracy and the economy, and then technology just overwhelms them. Well, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be something that happens overnight, but we are absolutely seeing erosion. You know, so we were seeing this, this blockchain thing, which started off as a kind of a weird computer hacker thing 10 years ago, and is now, as I said, $690 billion is the market cap of Bitcoin, and that's just Bitcoin. There's lots of other ones. I mentioned the $60 billion locked in DeFi. So this thing is gathering momentum, 
Now, of course, you mentioned the Methodists and the Calvinists and, and whatever. So, you know, you can see people yeah. like Warren Buffett, who thinks that Bitcoin is just a, an abomination. His sidekick, Charlie Munger, said it's disgusting. Uh, you've got people like Elon Musk, who are, you know, the future and they believe in Bitcoin. Um, you've got other people who think that all currencies should be abandoned in favor of this. So, yeah, there's a whole spectrum of views out there. But the, the direction of travel is, is pretty clear. Right. And it's not um, it's not going Warren Buffett's way. <laughs> you know? I think we we will we will leave it there, Donald. That was fascinating stuff. Donald Mahoney, the man who actually didn't deny that he isn't Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> I'm just oh, this is Donald. That was great. Thanks a million. Right. Great. Thanks a million. Cheers, David. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So... What, what you have is, you know the way you hear that people say that Apple have an inbuilt obsolescence in their iPhones? Yes. That at certain stages, what is triggered is a gradual decrepitude in the battery. Decrepitude? Good word. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> in the battery, right? So this is, so if, do you remember a thing called, remember differential calculus when we were in school? Oh, right? I do. Right? The DYDX stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. And that was basically all about... How you, how you, I don't know what out. it was about. Actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do remember. Yeah, it. but I remember. So basically, it was a sense in which you could actually, it was an incremental change going towards zero in maths, yes. right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is the same idea. So they've built into the Bitcoin an algorithm that is gradually going towards zero, that is halving every time, as Donald says, yeah. they increase some quantity, right? Yeah. It's and like radiation, the, it's the half life of, uh, Molecules. Is that what it is, John? Yes. Jesus, what? There you go. Tanya, chemistry and all that. Stuff. <laughs> so basically, what it is, it's 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 an inbuilt obsolescence that will make Bitcoin disappear. Yeah. At twenty-one million coins, and this is why the liquid or the digital gold people are suggesting that it has this capacity mm. because it's as it has scarcity built into it. But I would 
uh, and I think that's that's fine. Yeah, so but that's, so that means it's an asset. That means it's not money to be hoarded. Exactly. Yeah. So if you make something, anything, if you make the attraction of anything, it's scarcity. Yeah. Then your natural tendency is not to spend it. Yeah. It's to hoard it. Yes, of course. And therefore, it can't really become money, because money's beauty is that we don't hoard it that we actually accept it to such an extent that we don't say, you see that 10 euros in my arse pocket? It's going to be worth a little bit more next year or tomorrow, so I'm not going to spend it. Mm. And that would, if we stopped spending the euros and started treating them like bitcoins, the whole system would actually gum up. Yeah. And what money's essential alchemy is that it manages to walk this tightrope between value and use. Value and use. Yeah. So we know it as a value, but it's not sufficiently value that we, valuable that we hoard it. And we also know that when we put down the 10 euros, we get back something in return. Yeah. And that's something in return, we have accepted the notion of value. Yeah. This is this idea that money is like religion. Yes, but basically, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a huge fabrication of our imagination. Maybe the most amazing fabrication that humans have ever come up with. Because what we've managed to do with money, I was actually thinking about yesterday walking on the street, I mean, you walk on the street in Dunleary and there's all these hundreds of people walking around and doing their thing and shopping and not shopping or you know, having a drink, not having a drink, walking around. And you think, what is the organisational mechanism of modern societies? Because it's not politics. Yeah. It's not the army. It's not the police force. It's not democracy. It's not the education system. It's money. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah, an yeah. amazingly organisational technology that we all buy into and we've bought into over. Like, I believe that money is the story of modernity. Yeah. That there's basically two phases in human development. There's development before money and there's development now. Yeah. And what always happens in money, and this is the great thing about monetary history, is at every stage is a conflict between who prints it and who uses it. And this, I think, is part of an age-old, century-old dilemma. So even if you go back to, the let's say, the Dark Ages, the medieval ages, right? Money was essentially what they call specie which is silver or gold. Right. So this is the idea of it was digital gold. It was like a Bitcoin, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you get these Venetians and, and the Medicis in Florence. They started issuing what they call letters of credit between merchants. And this was like a parallel currency. So basically it said, John is good for 20 quid because I'll underwrite, like, like writing a check, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like John will write the check and I'll, I'll balance the check and I'll, I'll clear the check, right? And suddenly what you got was this conflict between the merchant class that were creating the letters of credit, which was actually modern money, yeah, and the king who owned the mint, who was actually printing the gold and putting his own fucking head in it, right. Right, saying, I'm the boss man. <laughs> and he said, and I'm the boss man, and I pay the soldiers, and I, and I run the kip, right? The merchants were saying, that's all cool, but the last thing we want to be doing is going from Italy to Germany, right? Trading up the Rhone and down the yeah. Rhine and carrying bags of gold. Yeah. In order for me to pay John Davis. Yeah, there was, there was a practical element yeah. to this. So basically I said, look, I've done business with John Davis for a while. He's a bit of a rogue, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't really trust him. But he's all right for the money, right? What I'll do is I'll accept a check from John. And I know he, he's good for it. And what we did was we created a parallel money. And then suddenly that becomes more refined in the 16th yeah. century, in the 18th century, 19th century, right? And then you see what we call modern money, which is paper money emerging which is basically the Bank of England sure. was the first, right? And all, I mean, the idea... Fiat think, money. Fiat money. So yeah. you think about the idea, it's our friends, the Dutch as well, and the Dutch, but the idea that not only will John not have to give me a bag of gold, but he's going to give me a piece of paper Yeah. that I am going to trust him so much 
that I am going to pretend my head is equal to a bag of gold, right? Yeah. So suddenly, what I'm saying is all these innovations are part of the process. So, so of money. what's the difference then between you're talking about the guy who owns the mint who prints the money? Are the miners then the same as as the printers? Well, in, see, in in that sense, in that sense, well. I mean, the miners, I mean, and again, it's, it's a very interesting because you know the word, the dollar. Yeah. The dollar comes from the German word Thaler. You know the term like Rosenthal, right? Oh, yeah. And Thal means valley, right? right? And of course, what valleys were, valleys were always the sources of mines, right? It's at the base of mountains. Okay, okay? right. Yeah. And the Thaler was a Czech currency in the 14th, 15th century, there was huge silver mines in Bohemia and they were called Thaler mines, right? And that's where the dollar comes from. Yeah. So there's always been a connection, you're right, between the mine yeah. and the king. So the mine would extract the silver and then that would set the limit on the amount of coins in the mint. And the king would come along, pay the miner, mm. okay? Mm. But not the same amount. This is what they call seniorage in economics, right? Yes. Right? Yeah. Not the same amount but he would say, he'd say, like, I'll take a hundred quid worth of silver from you. You'd say, fair enough, I'll take a hundred quid, okay, or a hundred gold pieces. Yeah. And then he'd print 200 bits of silver, right? Right. That's how he inflated and made his money. Right. Okay. And that's the way. So you're right, but the Bitcoin thing suggests that the mines can't be hoodwinked by the king, right? And if you think about huge amounts of political conflict all the way down throughout the years mm. has been the king trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the punters by devaluing the currency. Mm. The two great debasers, Nero and Henry VIII, both right. called the great debasers because they were always they, always they were always taking gold out of the coin yeah. right, and putting in now shitey bits of copper. Right, yeah, yeah. Things like that, trying to get away with it, like spoofers, right? And Bitcoin is supposed to take the King Henry VIII weakness out of the right. system. Right. And of course, what they look at, they would, they would say Nero was always a great man for debasing the, the Roman coin, right? The denarii mm. for, from dinar, you know, the, the Serb yeah, uh, yeah, currency yeah. Or, yeah. or dinero. No dinero. When the Spanish have no money, yeah. it comes from the dinar, from the Latin. It actually, the whole thing and the way Donald was speaking there, it feels like there's a lot of contradictions. You know, they have the, the cap of 21 million. In uh, 2040. In 2040. But is that only applying to Bitcoin? What about Ethereum? What yeah. about, you know, you could start up any old coin. Anybody can start a Mickey coin. coin. Mickey Mouse coin. Macker yeah. coin. Macker coin. Jeez, would be great. Start one of them. <laughs> but, you know, we could do that. And we don't have to have a cap at all. <laughs> I suspect it might be quite a debased currency. I'm not too sure. Imagine going around to Arthur McKenna and saying, Arthur, uh, can we a few pints of stout, please? Yeah, I'm good for it. You know. <laughs> I'm good for it. I've got my own coin in my arse pocket. I've got a fluff in my pocket. <laughs> exactly. But there is, John, there is a thing in economics, in monetary economics, called Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law states, and this is kind of intrinsic to Bitcoin and all these coins, right? Gresham's Law always states that bad money will drive out good money. Right. And this comes from years and years ago where counterfeiting was really the norm. There was a thing called scraping. So you put all the gold coins together and you yank them up and down, up and down, and get the little scrapey bits of gold off them. And you take all those scrapes of gold and melt that down into another coin, right? Oh, right, okay. So it is the, the history of coinage, the history of money has been always the weakness for debasing the currency, for actually making a currency worse than it is yeah. and then trying to pass that off yeah. as good stuff. 
Even remember I was talking about Dante many years ago, right? <laughs> Which time is that? <laughs> well, there's a great character in Dante called Adam the Debaser. And poor old Adam the Debaser was a geezer in Dante, right? Who Dante reserved the ninth circle of hell for the counterfeiter right. of the Florin because he thought to undermine the Florin was to undermine the system. And some poor geezer called Adam was a counterfeiter who was snared in Florence and he goes into the... What happened to him? Cir- was he, was he... he was burnt at the stake, the poor wow. lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But much That's worse. harsh. In the Inferno, Dante puts Adam, the counterfeiter, together with the guy who betrayed the Trojans in the Trojan horse of Greece. Okay, whose name escapes me, but there was a geezer, right, in the annals who convinced the Trojans that the horse was actually a gift from the Greeks, knowing full well the Greek army was in the belly of the horse. And then in the middle of the night when the Trojans were all locked because they thought they'd won the war, out come the Greeks. So the betrayal... It wasn't Achilles, no, it was another geezer. The betrayal mm. of the Trojans was seen as Dante as as bad as betraying the currency by debasing it. And he had Adam in the right. down there in the bowels of the earth, suffering all his life. So debasing was a kind of a, a treasonous act. It was an unbelievable treason. And, and of course, the great thing about Dante was the, the foulness of the language, the besmirching. And <laughs> he used to talk about puss and shit and piss and people swallowing things and all sorts of carry on. Right. Great stuff, right? <laughs> all right. But let's come back to Gresham's Law. But just before you do that, so but that is the whole point of cryptocurrencies is that there is no... That they're purer than the coin. Yeah. Right. So when you have a physical item, be it a coin or a banknote or whatever, that can be counterfeited. And, and what the, the cryptos people are saying, it will be counterfeited. Right? Yes. Yeah. But then if you take Gresham's law, this is the inherent contradiction, mm. right? Gresham's law means bad money drives out good money. So money that is being debased, right? Like what the Bitcoiners would talk about, the dollar being overproduced or the euro being produced, that will then be used in day-to-day transactions because people were trying to pass it off. They want to get rid of it, Yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas the good money, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners say, will be hoarded. But the contradiction, therefore, is that Bitcoin can never become money. It can only become hoarded. There's an intellectual fallacy at the center of it, mm. which is to do with Gresham's law in economics. And what the reason that central banks came in and legal tender came in and the sense of a state trying to manage the idea was that throughout the history of money, as people tried to debase money, the good money got hoarded in gold coins and was made valuable and was sort of kept for good and the bad money was used. And ultimately then the bad money became inflationary. So the reason we have all sorts of monetary organisations is to make sure that our good money doesn't become bad. Yeah. But what the Bitcoiners have said is that the whole elixir of Bitcoin is Gresham's law. But that then argues profoundly against Bitcoin ever becoming money, which is cool because it's an asset. Yeah. But the Bitcoiners themselves have staked some of their philosophical or revolutionary or anti-establishment, if you will, credence on the fact that what is happening is there is a revolution in money going on and the power is ceded from the corrupt state to the virtual Bitcoiners. And that story 
in my opinion, is a very, very hard circle to square. Okay, what we need to do now is we need to get the flip side of the coin, as it were. Oh, I like that, John. <laughs> so on Thursday, we're going to be speaking to Katie Martin of the FT, who's going to give us the other side of the coin. Absolutely. And she's going to talk to us about what is happening in the market, the various different tribes, and ultimately where this thing goes. So back on Thursday. John. Yes. Oh, I like that. Where did that come from? <laughs> Deep uh, down. Is that your Barry White? Deep down. Is that your John as Barry White? <laughs> We're going to play out with Lucy and Chameleon, i.e. Matthew, the fellow you say, what's his name? <laughs> the guy with the head. The guy with the heads. New track called Who Knows. Swimming in my head every day